Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. You have tuned into the Daily Roundup on this, a Tuesday, March 28th, 2023. I'm David Menzies, and my co-host, well, let me tell you a little bit about my co-host. Folks, do you know that today is National Hot Tub Day? And my co-host, much like myself, believe you meet the nicest people in a hot tub. She is the she-devil with a stroller. She is the Khaleesi of the greater Coburg area. She is Tamara Ugolini. How you doing there, Tamara? Are we having some audio? Oh, uh, I can hear you now. There we go. Yes, doing much better. And how are you doing this morning, David, on National Hot Tub Day? Well, you know what? Hot tubs do have a special meaning for me, uh, Tamara. Um, once upon a time, it was 1988, the day before Valentine's Day, know. no less. I was at the Bally Matrix Fitness Club, sitting in a hot tub, and who comes into the hot tub to sit beside me? The future lady menzoid. So I guess, you know, when you see your future spouse in an almost naked condition, it is conducive. <laughs> <laughs> to, to romance. So here we are, 2023, uh, despite the odds, still together. So that's my favorite hot tub moment. Well, that, what a story. Bless, bless Lady Menzoid. <laughs> <laughs> How many years did you say, David? Sorry, say it again, Tamara. How many years did you say you've been married? Oh, um, let's see. I got to carry the at least 30, right? Good for you. I know. It's unbelievable. It's a rarity these days. How, how did you meet uh, Mr. Ugolini? Yeah, so Ugolini is actually my maiden name. I um, am progressive, I suppose, in a way. I My dad had all daughters, and so I wanted to uphold uh, the last name Ugolini. So um, my husband's last name is different, and I actually work very hard to keep that private because my children obviously have my husband's last name. And so in order to kind of protect their identities, I um, don't disclose that. But I actually met him online. It's funny because so we're a blended oh. family, and many people probably don't know that about me because I often don't go into my personal life. Um, but uh, so I had a daughter and he had, so we both had one child and then we met online because, well, I was a working mom and uh, didn't go out or do anything to really mingle or meet anybody. And so, so we met online and um, here we are uh, married. We've been together for just over a decade and I think it'll be nine years this year. No, eight years this year um, that we've been married. Fantastic. You know, I got to tell you, Tamara, I wish the internet was a thing back in the 80s so that I could have met somebody online instead of going to dreadfully smoky, loud bars and uh, doing the cheesy uh, pickup line routine. But what is this about protecting the identities? Are you in the witness protection program? Or something? <laughs> <laughs> no, but you never know the creepers who are out there on the World Wide Web these days. Um, that's just something I've actually always done, even before uh, this having kind of a public figure job is that, you know, I'll, ch I'll chat about our family life and my kids, but I keep their identities private. And um, I also don't really disclose much of them and their faces uh, on social media. So I know some parents are okay with that. Um, I just am not comfortable. And I think that it should be left up to them when they are old enough to understand the potential repercussions of having, you know, they're in some instances, like some people post their child's entire life on social media. And I just, I don't agree with it. So um, I try to keep their lives private. 
and you never know who the creepers are out there. So that's a huge reason as to why I do that. But um, regardless, before we get into more uh, nitty gritty, and we have so many actually newsy topics, which don't include my personal life to talk about. um, Let me remind everybody of what we're doing here. So this is our daily roundup. And every day you get a different, sometimes a different host. It's usually always uh, the wonderful David Menzies, who kind of runs this show um, every day from 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern. So depending on where you're joining us from, what time zone you're in. But we are on YouTube, Rumble, Odyssey, Getter, and Twitter. So you can join us on any of those platforms. However, because we have been demonetized from uh, YouTube, for instance, who doesn't agree with our our thoughts and uh, engages in broad censorship of various topics, especially when you question certain narratives. So we have been demonetized completely from there, almost deplatformed, but I think we're, we're okay currently as the kind of COVID craziness settles into some dust. Um, But if you're joining us on those other platforms, so specifically Rumble and I believe it is um, Getter, you can engage with us directly through a a small monetized chat, uh, hyper chat or super chat. And that's a nice fun way for us to get your tips, your feedback, if you have any questions or comments for us. So I would urge you to check out those other platforms if you aren't already and uh, engage with us directly in there. It always makes it a little bit more fun. But we have so much to get through today, especially as the federal government in our Canadian federal government moves to release their budget plans. I guess they're not balancing themselves anymore. But uh, so that will be today at 4 p.m. And um, I guess first and foremost, I don't think this is a clip that we have, David, of the Deputy Prime Minister and Finance Minister Christia Freeland. I know we have a tweet uh, from Christian Freeland ahead of budget 2023. I'm continuing the pre-budget tradition of selecting a new pair of shoes. I chose from a Canadian retailer, Simon's, and I look forward to wearing them tomorrow. You know what? While she was there, uh, I guess Simon's is, is it exclusively a shoe store. Um, could she pick up maybe a dress that fits her properly so that when she's in a seated position, and I'm not making this up, folks, I wish I were, we don't have to blue dot, you know, the private part area because the dress isn't quite covering up the lady as it should. Um, but there she is uh, in a, uh, now what we are supposed to read into this, um, Tamara, mm-hmm. is that it's just a plain black pair of high heel shoes uh, that allegedly means a boring kind of budget. Evidently, the more elaborate the new shoes are, uh, the more um, offbeat the budget is, I suppose. But, you know, we're going to see uh, what uh, is going to come down the pike. I'll tell you two things I would like to see, but we're not going to see it. One is canceling the carbon tax because... Mm-hmm. Even if you believed in the whole, it's a climate emergency, a climate crisis, a climate disaster, a climate catastrophe. I, I, I don't know how we're supposed to, you know, say the other word that follows climate, but really, really bad. You could say, yeah, it, you know, the environment has merit. But during these trying times where you have inflation through the roof, perhaps Canada heading into a recession uh, later this year, we got to give Canadians a break. 
and we are suspending the carbon tax, but they won't do it because they're a bunch of virtue signalers that don't, um, you know, don't believe in uh, going to bat for the common uh, guy and gal uh, who are the taxpayers who pay their salary, of course. And the other thing, Tamara, the largest line item of the government is the bureaucracy. And I mm -hmm. challenge anyone in Ottawa to tell me that you cannot cut from that bloated, fat bureaucracy that grows every year. It's grown every year under the Justin Trudeau Liberals. Are you telling me 10% uh, job cuts in the bureaucracy? That's too much of an ask. Tamara, you know as well as I do and our viewers, uh, it's like we're still at the height of COVID. Half the bureaucracy, I understand, is still working from home. Even those mm -hmm. in the bureaucracy that should be dealing with taxpayers uh, or clients in a uh, in a hands-on situation, i.e. at a passport office, you know, because it's become du rigueur. You want to renew your passport, uh, bring a lawn chair or better yet, a sleeping bag. <laughs> you might need it. So, Tamara, what are your thoughts if you were the Minister of Finance, what would you target in this budget? Well, it's really interesting to read into the shoes that she purchased. So they're black. And I wonder if, if it alludes to the fact that you wear all black to a funeral. I mean, Canada, <laughs> under the leadership of this government, has, is, is not the Canada we once knew and loved. There are a record number of Canadians sourcing and, and going to food banks because they can no longer afford to feed their families in, as we're seeing, record inflation, astronomical energy costs. Canadians can't afford to feed their families and they can't afford to heat their homes. And here we have Deputy Prime Minister, Minister of Finance, Christia Freeland, going out to purchase a new pair of shoes. And that's, you know, I understand that there's traditions here, but we are in unprecedented territory yep. under a government who remains so continually proving to be so out of touch with the real on the ground needs of everyday Canadians. And it would make a little bit more sense, in my opinion, to go ahead and do something a little bit more different this year because we're facing very different times. And um, I, I wonder, A, what brand of shoes they are, B, how much they cost, and C, whether, you know, either way, it's taxpayers footing the bill, whether we're paid, we're billed directly for this pair of black uh, kitten heels, or um, she's, you know, paying with it from her own money, which is essentially just our money anyway. But uh, I want to also highlight that she chose Realtor Simons. And maybe we can pull up this ad because Simons was on the receiving end of, of some heavy criticism for essentially promoting and um, validating state-sanctioned euthanasia with the MAID program, the medical assistance in dying. Oh. And so we had that commercial that they published. Um, maybe we'll give producer Olivia a few moments to try to, yeah, here we go. Um, so for anybody who's not familiar, this was a, an advertisement put out by Simons, I think just a few months ago, like very recently. Essentially, like I mentioned, promoting MAID. take dying to figure out what living is actually like. 
I spent my life filling my heart with beauty, with nature, with connection. So I choose to fill my final moments with the same. Last breaths are sacred. When I imagine my final days, I see music. I see the ocean. I see cheesecake. Yeah, I mean, this the, the commercial goes on, but it essentially like beautifies and really normalizes suicide. Um, and this is the store that Christia Freeland decided to also promote and, and pick her shoes from. Um, in terms of the actual budget itself, so we're expected to see additional carbon tax hikes. Um, I shared just recently on Twitter a, a sampling of my personal gas bill. <laughs> okay. And um, it's always been a little bit high. We have a lot of, of windows. You know, We house a lot of people. Um, but this is like three times what it was just a mere two years ago. And you can see in there the carbon tax charge. And I think it was uh, 54 roughly $54. So it's a percentage of the bill that there's the, the carbon tax charge on top of. And then we pay tax on the tax. Uh, and this is expected to go up. We're going to also see alcohol tax instituted um, and increase there. And um, of course, the MPs, members of parliament, will be getting their yearly raise. But uh, we have certain bureaucracies, like I think it was the federal um, tax agency. I can't remember the, the name, but they're calling for MPs and the government not to institute this yearly raise because oh, Canadians the Canadian are struggling. Taxpayers Federation, I think you're alluding Thank to. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so I, I think we have a clip of that. Um, or perhaps it's uh, a tweet as well, where they're saying, yeah, it's a clip here. Let's have a listen. Stopping a pay raise isn't rocket science, especially when Canadians overwhelmingly oppose it. The feds stopped MP pay raises between 2010 and 2013 in response to the 08-09 recession. BC recently froze pay for MLAs. Nova Scotia Premier Tim Hewson recalled the legislature, froze MLA pay, and then cut his own pay by $11,000. Here in Ottawa, backbench MPs currently collect a $189,500 salary. Trudeau collects a $379,000 salary from taxpayers. MPs don't deserve another raise, and MPs don't need another raise from their constituents who are struggling to fill the fridge. MPs especially don't deserve a raise when they make life unaffordable with tax hikes. Bingo. You know, uh, Tamara, I, I do absolutely agree with uh, Franco. He And he's a wonderful uh, fighter out there, and he's been a, a friend to our show on several occasions. Um, however, with all due respect, uh, MPs not getting a raise, um, it that amount of money wouldn't even am amount to a, a rounding error. Um, like I said, if you really want to tackle this, and it's going to be tough, it is to reduce the bureaucracy. 
It is to mm -hmm. even get rid of certain departments. It is to do massive uh, layoffs. But they won't do that because I think, Tamara, most bureaucrats do vote liberal because the liberals are all about expanding the bureaucracy and it has expanded every year under Justin Trudeau. So why would you wanna target your base? Um, if we do see regime change, I hope that a conservative government would go after this big elephant. Yeah, I agree. And, and uh, you know, just speaking from my own anecdotal reporting and experiences over the last few years, I wouldn't be upset if they dissolved the Public Health Agency of Canada and got rid of our Chief Medical Officer of Health, Theresa Tam. The millions of dollars that go into funding that department alone that has shown grotesque ineptitude all throughout the quote-unquote pandemic is worthy of dissolving just in and of itself. These people are are not upholding any form of actual health and well-being and instead just towing a big pharma marketing slogan in their midst. Um, so if they would like to continue to do that, I would argue that they can be funded by big pharma. We don't need to pay their salaries um, because they obviously work for vested interests and not necessarily the interests of Canadians. Um, on that note, we also have Premier of Ontario, Doug Ford, denouncing this carbon tax. And, and the province itself has halted or temporarily suspended. Um, there, there was supposed to be a provincial tax hike on things like gas. And Ford, in wake of this carbon tax and, of course, uh, looming recession and record inflation, has decided to halt that. But, I, I mean, you trade one for the other, essentially, um, his provincial cap or suspension of the tax hike doesn't really affect anything because the carbon tax and increases to it are continuing to move forward. So it's what's that saying? Half dozen to one. Uh, I always get that one mixed up, but it doesn't seem to make a huge difference in the pocketbooks of Canadians, although it's nice to see that he's a little bit more on the ground and in tune with reality of what his constituents and people in his province are, are up against. And I do believe we have a video of uh, Premier Ford uh, saying that, well, the carbon tax is killing people. Oh, oh, is there trouble in paradise? I thought him and Justin Trudeau uh, were like best friends, but he's certainly <laughs> uh, Premier Ford that is not simpatico with blackface when it comes to the carbon tax. Let's hear the, the full clip of what uh, Premier Ford had to say. When Rob and I were down at, at City Hall from 2010, 2014, I'll say even 2012, there's 540, I think 540 or 550 less police officers in Toronto than there were back then. We need safe subways, we need safe communities, but we also need bail reform. 13 premiers signed a, a letter over to the federal government. I understand they're going to be moving on it, but we can't have the bad guys shooting up the streets and all of a sudden going in, in front of the courts and getting let out literally the next day. It's unacceptable, but enough's enough with this, this crime. Uh, I've never seen anything like it. That should be the number one issue for any mayoral candidate. And the mayoral candidates that say they want to cut funding for the police, they want to defund the police, don't vote for them. Simple as that. Support the, 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 the candidates that are going to fund the police, are going to get more police officers uh, in our subways, in our streets, because, again, I've never seen it this bad ever, 
absolutely ever. And we need to make sure when we sentence these uh, criminals, uh, they need to go away for a long time without bail. Well, I don't think that was the right clip in terms of no. the carbon tax. Uh, but you know what? We can transition to our other uh, topic uh, briefly just before we take an ad break, uh, Tamara. And yeah, the premier is absolutely right on this file. Uh, we need bail reform. By the way, the call for bail reform, all 10 provincial premiers and the three premiers of the territory. So 13 out of 13 have told Ottawa get going on this. So that's 100% buy-in for bail reform. And why? Well, look at the front page of The Sun today, folks. Justice system failure. You had, a couple of days ago, a 16-year-old boy at Keel Subway Station sitting on a bench, talking to his friend, minding his own business, and this maniac, without any kind of provocation whatsoever, Tamara, stabbed them to death. I mean, this is grotesque. And when we find out that he was out on numerous releases, numerous, why is that? Why are the Trudeau liberals so tone deaf, Tamara, in terms of keeping the bad people behind bars? But no, with their gun clawback, they're going to go after, I don't know, Saskatchewan duck hunters uh, because that's the real problem out there, uh, someone going hunting in a rural environment. It's despicable. And like I said, when you have 13 out of 13 provincial and territorial leaders saying you got to address this, why aren't they addressing this? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really the liberal uh, or the progressive justice system policies that are the issue here it's not necessarily more police on the ground you can have you can have policing every which way but it's with these catch and release policies that we're seeing these criminals are just going to be back out on the street the next day the police are doing the work they're doing their jobs they're catching the criminals they're arresting them they're bringing them forward to these liberal leaning judges who are saying that, oh, well, they probably need a social worker or they yeah. need more social supports. Um, we need to send them to the hospital for a mental health assessment. No, a lot of these people need, are, are criminals who have sociopathic minds who cannot be reintegrated into a successful civil society. And we have, an ins we have places for them and they involve cement walls and bars because they are a danger to society. And so we're going to just see an increase in this with these progressive policies that are in place by the federal government. This, in my opinion, doesn't have anything to do with policing because the police are out there catching the criminals, doing the enforcement, perhaps um, increasing the police presence. Yes. Although, you know, at the same point in time, what we saw all throughout COVID was that police were focused on peaceful protesters and this idea that you could uh, suppress viral spread by stomping on constitutional rights instead of focusing their efforts on actual crime. So it's kind of a double-edged sword, in my opinion, uh, the focus on policing. I think that we have to have um, a more, more robust process for judges to be able to um, really come at some of these topics with impartiality rather than politically driven ideologies. Well, I think, you know, you're absolutely right, uh, Tamara. And it's this prevailing philosophy of hug a thug. 
And I'll give you another example. <laughs> On Friday, uh, the Ombudsman for Toronto released a report essentially condemning the Toronto Police Service and the City of Toronto for the way they handled the removal of illegal encampments in Toronto parks. Now, these were, and I speak from experience, folks, uh, going to Trinity Bellwoods and having a crack addict sick his dangerous dog on me, sinking its, thaw, its um, uh, fangs into my thigh. And the idea that this ombudsman, oh, well, you know, uh, you didn't say pretty please, you know, you, you didn't set up some sort of support network or what have you. Tamara, here's the deal. With a public park, you have the right to visit it, no matter who you are. But you do not have the right to camp there. You do not have the right to do dangerous drugs. You do not have the right to harbor dangerous uh, dogs. You don't have the right to defecate and urinate uh, in the park. You don't have the right to drop syringes and condoms in the playground where mothers are taking uh, their toddlers to play. And yet, somehow, this ombudsman said it was significant unfairness unfairness in cleaning up these uh, encampments. Tamara, these squatters were breaking at least 11 or 12 sections of the Trespass Act, not for a day or two or a week or two, but for several months. In fact, I think in mm -hmm. some parks you've had people there for years. And what I'm saying is that not all homeless are dangerous, but some are dangerous. And this idea that we have to embrace a hug-a-thug uh, mentality. I say when you are dealing with a dangerous person, that person is behind bars, or if there's mental illness behind that dangerous person's behavior, then you incarcerate him in a mental institution. But no, the left doesn't believe in that. You know, uh, they're all about embracing this for whatever reason while maintaining a mantra of defund the police, like get rid of law enforcement to protect you and I and our viewers from these characters. None of this makes sense. Yeah, I think the bringing back institutionalized uh, medicine for people suffering from very severe mental health issues. You know, there are that I'm not a psychologist and uh, I would never pretend to be one, but I think there's very real clinical diagnosis that can happen with a lot of these people. And we used to put them into mental health institutions. And now that we don't have those because they were um, uh, inhumane and infringing on human rights and whatever the other progressive um, flowery language that was used around that was, well, we're seeing the fallout of those policies. So I would expect more of it, not less, despite uh, police presence, because we're not actually fixing any part of the system that is failing uh, by throwing some more police at it. No, you're so, so right. So we're I well mean... overdue. Oh, oh, sorry, David. You know what, Tamara? I think we have to take an ad break, and then we'll get mm -hmm. uh, over to that horrific story in Nashville regarding uh, another mass shooting. Uh, but in the meantime, folks, uh, check out this ad. We'll see you on the other side. Yes, black bag. So, Roxanne? Yes. Roxanne? Yes. Roxanne? Yes. Roxanne? Yes. Roxanne? Yes. You came to, to Mexico and did you ask for asylum? Yeah, yeah. Un amigo de nosotros estaba aquí en Nueva York, se fue para allá y ya le dieron el permiso para trabajar. 
stay in your own country. I am here with a purpose. There is a process to determine whether someone is a refugee. There are steps to go through. Those who are seeking to go somewhere else, not we're pushing or forcing, if they're seeking to go somewhere else, we are helping in the reticketing process. There's so many homeless here, and they're bringing people from other countries where there's people here struggling with mental illness. The issue starts at our southern border, where the U.S. has declined to enforce uh, proper immigration. And you allow them to live in a hotel, but yet the major crisis of homelessness is very, very big. So I'm in Roxham Road and I'm waiting actually for Lincoln G to arrive. He just uh, arrived in Plattsburgh and he took a cab. Just like that, I'm in the back of a taxi cab waiting to go to Roxham Road. Why wouldn't you ask that? You're running across the border. You have to go to police or look And by the way, our team of uh, Lincoln J and Alexa Laval, they'll be returning uh, to Roxham Road because uh, we'll believe it when we see it in terms of uh, that border point uh, being closed uh, to migrants. But uh, we'll let them tell that story. So, uh, again, um, a shocking uh, story out of Nashville at a Christian school. Uh, three adults, three children, I believe, one as young as nine years old. I don't know how you do that. Point a gun and take the life of a nine-year-old child. Um, shot down by, um, well, I got to get my pronouns right because God forbid I misgender the shooter. Uh, you'll have the Ontario Human Rights Commission on my ass before you know it. But uh, so this was, help me out here, this was originally... A man who is being a female or is it vice versa, Tamara? I think it's now vice versa. So we're not the only ones that are confused. There seems to be some general confusion around the gender identity of this school shooter. But regardless of if it was a male to female or female to male identifier, this was a transgender identifying ident identified uh, person. Um, they were just starting, I think, some sort of formal transition. But the the details of the story, you know, it, it will continue to evolve. So this is a new, fairly newly breaking story. So I'm sure that as more details come out, there that will be clarified. Um, but it wasn't, yeah, as this headline here reads, it was a former student of this uh, school in Nashville, elementary Christian school. And they're discovering that this student, former student, made a manifesto. So this was like a premeditated, planned execution uh, of three children and three adults where there was maps involved and I think some form of a, a note to a friend or a message to a friend. This is just a horrific horrific story um and our you know my thoughts go out to the families affected by this but you see on the radical far left side of this trans debate that they're trying to flip the script here to actually be 
sympathizers with this school shooter. And the illusion here is that because of the um, gender, the, the lack of gender affirming care in Tennessee. Yeah, here we have uh, one of the activists going off because of the lack of gender affirming care. That is what prompted this individual who is likely to be suffering comorbidities, as the data shows with these individuals. Um, that is why they took to shooting up a school. Um, the mental gymnastics needed to get to that conclusion <laughs> is so um, so disturbing yeah. that this can be warped into some sort of sympathetic story for a school shooter when when there you know in my opinion there are clear ways to address these comorbidities these mental health comorbidities that coincide with um the need to identify as another gender than what you were i don't know the words that they use biologically or what you were the that you were assigned at birth um the lack of availability of proper mental health diagnosis and mental health care for these individuals is in my opinion, what would drive such a horrific crime to take place. And that doesn't mean that we need more gender affirming care. We need more care to actually address, assess, and deal with the mental health comorbidities that are underlying in many of these instances. So again, I'm sure as more details come out around this story, we'll find out more about that. But um, the issue, in my opinion here, is not that there needs to be more gender-affirming care. It actually needs to be a, a mental health focus uh, that's being entirely disregarded for, let's cut off your genitals and uh, take some skin from your leg and try to mold you into having some sort of um, phallic male try to resemble a penis. I, I couldn't agree with you more, uh, Tamara. And, you know, as soon as I heard about the details of the story when it was breaking, Christian school, a trans mass shooter, I said, oh, this is going to be really interesting to see how the mainstream media and the progressive left spin it. And uh, I'll look at what uh, um, Andy Nago uh, he tweeted out um, um, a statement from a radical trans activist group called the Trans Resistance Network, uh, where they put out a statement that it's mourning the death of the Nashville Christian School mass shooter. Yeah, you heard me right. Not the six innocent victims, folks, but the trans mass shooter. That's what the uh, Trans Resistance Network is concerned about. I couldn't agree with you more about mental health issues. I've met some of these trans people, um, Tamara, and uh, I think once upon a time, uh, they would be institutionalized. Uh, mm -hmm. And now, what do we have? We have, this is the new civil rights banner that we're supposed to get behind. We have less than a percent of 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 a community demanding we change all the rules so that a biological male like Leah Thomas can swim and cream uh, the biological females in the swimming pool. We have biological men gaming the system 
uh, to get out of a male penitentiary and do their time in the female penitentiary, which is kind of like incarcerating the fox with the hens in the uh, chicken coop. And God forbid anyone speaks out against this insanity. That's right, that's what I said, insanity. If you are a biological person, a male or a female, and you believe you're the opposite sex, you need a psychiatrist. You don't need surgery. You don't need hormones. That's what you need. And yet society, Tamara, is bending over backwards to accommodate the this lunatic fringe that, like I said, when you look at the mass population of people on this planet, it's not even um, a fraction of a scintilla of 1%. Mm -hmm. And then you see this, you see somebody going to bat for the shooter as opposed to the six innocent victims. Uh, this is beyond the pale, my friend. Yeah, and I want to go back to Andy Ngo's um, tweet as well, because he highlights in there some ver really concerning verbiage from that press release where they say hate has consequences. So they're yes. essentially validating yep. this unfolding, this absolutely like unfathomable, unfathomable unfolding of events on these poor innocent children and coming back to the fact that hate apparently has consequences like you can go in and shoot up a school because you maybe couldn't access gender affirming care and I haven't looked into the nitty-gritty on the laws around in Tennessee but I assume it's primarily to protect children so this was I believe a 28 year old male or female where that's still up for debate we, we don't know um, it doesn't really matter at the end of the day, this person's gender doesn't really matter. Yeah. But the fact to me, but the fact of the matter is that this person was obviously dealing with some mental health disorders. I mean, you would have to be to, to go in and, and shoot up a school. But I would also be interested to know what kind of prescriptions this individual was on. Because the data is quite clear that if you're prescribed SSRIs, certain a brand of antidepressants, that the vast majority of people who engage in these violent, vicious attack on innocent, innocent, completely innocent people are often on these intense prescriptions for pharmaceutical products that have known side effects to cause delusion, aggression, violent tendencies, suicidal ideation. I mean, the list literally goes on and on. So there is more of an opportunity here to dissect that side of what is really going on in an instance like this than worrying about what whether someone was born a male or a female. No, they're all they're all obviously dealing with some form of gender dysphoria coupled with likely comor mental health comorbidities coupled with perhaps an SSRI prescription that's just fueling this turmoil of feelings and emotions in this person. Um, and yet the radical left is going to capitalize this, try to validate it and sympathize with the shooter because the system has failed them under the guise of not providing the gender affirming care that they so desperately needed. I'm sure that this person was seeking care for um, other things. And if they weren't, well, there you go. And even if they were, well, hey, maybe there you go as well, because these pharmaceutical products are known to have these litany of side effects. Um, and so that's worth more investigation while we get hung up on the gender stuff. I think that's that's a distraction. Well, of course, Tamara, and everything you said is accurate. 
and you're telling the truth, but in that circle of society, the trans uh, community, you are a hater, a bigot, a transphobe. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's how they roll. Because yeah. we have this underlying philosophy right now. If it's trans, it's good. And if it's good, it's trans. And the, this community, especially when it comes to the female demographic, when you have biological males competing with uh, females and female sports, uh, being incarcerated in female prisons. They say it's all about equity and inclusion and diversity. You know what it's really about, Tamara? It's about misogyny. If you support biological males getting into female sports and, fe and uh, female prisons, you are misogynist. You hate women. That's what it's really about. And I am so waiting for this pendulum to swing back to some degree of common sense but everybody out there, um, Tamara, whether it's Hollywood or school boards or governments, we're all bending the knee for the fear of being labeled a transphobe because evidently there is nothing worse than being called a transphobe. And when you have a tweet coming from Trans Resistance Network professing sympathy for this shooter as opposed to the six innocent victims. That is just so galling. Uh, like I said earlier, it's beyond the pale. Also, the fact that, you know, the fact that this was a Christian school, I think that plays a role too, because, you know, Tamara, in 2021, I would tell you that the most underreported and overlooked story by the mainstream media was the 60 or so churches that were burnt to the ground in this country. And then we even have Trudeau's best friend, Gerald Butts. Then he say in a tweet something along the lines, you know, don't quote me, but it was along the lines of, uh, yeah, it's a bad thing, but it's understandable. You know, mm -hmm. would, would Gerald Butts have said that if those were 60 mosques burnt to the ground? It, no, you know, but when it comes to Christianity, that is a fair target for the radical left. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And then to reinforce it with the verbiage, again, hate has consequences and justify it as though this is sort of, this was deserved in a way. That is absolutely disgusting. These are children. These are innocent children. And um, yeah, here we have, yeah, David uh, Pakman, who, who, basically says that, you know, the Christian school deserved it. Um, given that lack of prayer is often blamed for those horrible events, is it possible they weren't paying enough, praying enough or correctly, despite being a Christian school? This is absolutely disgusting. These are children, innocent children, innocent um, staff, school staff, I think even one substitute teacher. Um, the This was completely unprovoked, undeserving attack, and it needs to be called out. Um, the way it is, you know, the, I suppose the only decent outcome here is that police were able to subdue this individual before they went on an even further murderous onslaught. Um, sadly, there were six victims, but there could have been arguably even more if police hadn't responded as quickly and as swiftly as they did. I believe that um, they were apprehended within like four minutes. Tamara, that, that, that's a very important point because you know, in that circle of trans rights and trans people can do no wrong. These are also the same people that want to defund the police. 
And we have to take our hats off to the Nashville Police Department because, as you said, they responded within minutes and they went right in to a school. Um, as soon as the cops got out of there, they jumped out of their uh, police cruisers with their guns out. They knew there was somebody heavily armed killing people and they went and they prevented, as you said, a further massacre from taking place. What would have happened if uh, the city of Nashville had defunded their police? That instead of police officers, we have community organizers and community activists. How do you deal with a maniac like that in this case? I'd love to hear the progressive left who want to see the end to policing explain that to me. I have a funny feeling that it would have unfolded similarly as to that horrific incident that was posted on social media uh, late yesterday afternoon showing um, a British Columbia man who was stabbed in broad daylight on a patio of a Starbucks yep. and succumbed very quickly to those injuries while someone on the patio literally sat there drinking his coffee and watching. And this man was there with his wife. And from what I gathered from some of the posts, um, a small child, we won't go and show any of that graphic content. It's very graphic. I do not recommend that you search it out, but um, it is there available on the World Wide Web. And um, no one did anything. No one stepped in to administer first aid. No one tried to apply pressure to the wound or, um, you know, they're more busy filming what was going on than calling the police. Uh, the suspect was later reprimanded, but, um, or, uh, captured by the police. But in the moment, you know, bystanders just stood idly by, no one did anything. Uh, so that is again, you know, as we see this progressive tiptoe into the response to crime right before our eyes. Um, I think that that is a very concerning direction that our country has taken. And it was, it was, Nice to see the reinforcement of police being able to act so quickly, but um, really heavy topic there. So uh, let's maybe move into something a little bit more lighter as we as we close off the stream with a few more well, topics. But before and, we do that, and Tamara, before you go on, I just want to say about uh, I mean that is a grotesque video of what happened to that father in Vancouver, much like the mm -hmm. 16 year old in Toronto um, stabbed to death sitting on a bench minding his own business. Uh, by somebody out on numerous um, uh, bail releases. And again, uh, I know it's not fashionable in many circles. This is why I totally advocate for the return of the death penalty to Canada. I don't want to see other people murdered. And with both these individuals, because a life sentence does not mean life in Canada, it's maximum 25 years, they can get out again and carry out these kind of horrific criminal acts. And for those who say, oh, you know, you death penalty advocates, that's all about revenge and not reform. You know what, Tamara? Revenge works for me. Because when you see innocent people stabbed to death, minding their own business, uh, I have zero compassion for these perpetrators, unlike, of course, the uh, the trans resistance network that goes to bat uh, for a murderer because he or she or it is trans. So I just wanted to get that off my chest. Thanks for that, David. We'll, we'll run a quick ad break and we'll come back to uh, some more critiques of the bureaucracy. Gotcha.
If you want to look good and shine like me, you can do so at our store. Go to ribbonnewstore.com. On this website, you have so much different style to wear as this one, my favorite one, Justin Castro. With my code Alexa10, you will have 10% off on your next purchase. So don't hesitate, go now and look so good like me. Canadians know the national anthem. They stand in silence to remember those who died for this country. But not every Canadian knows their rights and freedoms. The Freedom Passport will change that. It looks and feels like a Canadian passport, but contains the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms in a portable, easy to read format. The Freedom Passport, order one for yourself and for all the freedom lovers that you love at freedompassport.ca. Before yes. we get into our next topic, I just wanted to read a super chat that we got, uh, gotcha. $5 from Funes. Thank you very much. Um, says a man, and that's quote unquote, a man doesn't shoot unarmed women and children. What a great point. Yeah, imagine that uh, chivalry. Uh, being a gentleman, I know those are archaic, outdated terms when it comes to the uh, progressive left. But you know what? I kind of like the good old days. You know that, Tamara? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, let's make toxic masculinity great again. Yeah. Um, our beloved social media manager, Yankee Pollock, gives us another $5. Thanks so much, Yankee. And he reminds everyone that you can now buy a monthly subscription and get a badge. So there you have it on Rumble. Oh, what does the badge look like? <laughs> Maybe that's for another day. Uh, well, I say that because I think you alluded to this earlier. Um, you know, I I don't know anything about graphic design, but I know what I like when I see it. And on the lighter side of things, because it's been a, a heavy show, have you seen, Tamara, the new Toronto Blue Jays uh, cap? I don't think they're wearing it for every game. It's to commemorate ice cream or some such thing. It is unbelievable, A, that this logo was rendered, and more unbelievable that <laughs> in the chain of command in approving things that this got checkmarked off. Look at that. It's being called the snot cap. It looks like the, the Blue Jay it has got a terrible running new, runny nose. Um, Tamara, what do you make of it? Is this something you would pay cash money for? <laughs> oh, you know what? After the way that these sports in guys have handled themselves throughout the COVID narrative, I don't, I don't really support any team at this point or any of these organizations. Um, when I saw that, and, you know, and having this sort of heavy looming live stream, um, talking about this school shooting, this, it doesn't remind me of like dripping ice cream or snot. It, it literally reminds me of blood. Um, it's really, really bizarre. And, you know, blue jays are a really aggressive bird. So it, my mind kind of went there with like a blue jay attacking something and um, there being blood on the beak. It's it's a strange mindset to get there. Um, yeah, I'm not sure how supportive the fans are going to be of this gooey, runny beak. Um, I suppose time will tell, but I think that was just released yesterday today or yesterday was it that's right and and tamara i mean given 
how close we are to Saturday, April 1st, a.k.a. April Fool's Day. That, that made my spidey senses tingle. Uh, this is a joke, right? I mean, this is, uh, but it doesn't look like it is, uh, you know, because if it no. were, I guess you would release this cap on uh, April the 1st, but it's just March <laughs> 28th. And uh, boy, I'd love to see uh, how this sells. I don't think it's going to sell that well. It's right up there. You know, I'm a fan of, you know, uh, logos and, um, you know, especially sports logos, uh, there's great ones and there's horrible ones. And by the way, when it comes to logo design, I subscribe to the mantra of less is more. Don't overcomplicate things. Look at the most iconic logos of all time, the New York Yankees NY, the, um, the Detroit Red Wings uh, winged wheel. They're, they're things of beauty. They shouldn't be touched. But the worst logo of when it comes to corporations, associations, sports that I've ever come across. And Tamara, I'm not going to describe it because I don't want to get a nasty letter from HR or have Mr. Vice President come into the studio and nod his head. We're just going to show you the logo for the state of Vermont uh, maple syrup producers. And again, Tamara, I'm going to ask you, <laughs> oh my God. How did this get approved? <laughs> Are you looking at what I'm looking at? Um, I'm not sure that I see it through the eyes of the notorious David Menzies, but um, well, can you elaborate while being, uh, you know, not too grotesque? Well, it appears to be to me on first blush and second blush and third blush, it looks like it's a man peeing into a bucket. Um, that doesn't exactly want me to crave maple syrup. <laughs> it does the opposite. It makes me buy my maple syrup from uh, Quebec and Ontario and not Vermont. Oh, yeah, there it is. Uh, but again, it's one thing to have some crackpot come up with a logo like that, but it's got to be approved by the higher-ups, much like the Toronto mm -hmm. Blue Jay snot cap. And that's what really baffles me. Somebody in a position of power, somebody in a position of authority and signing off said, yeah, this is a great logo. <laughs> Start the, get the presses going. Uh, unbelievable. I mean, what uh, would be, uh, maybe I'm putting you on the spot here, Tamara, but can you think of a logo that you've seen through your life that you just shake your head over? Yeah, you are putting me on the spot. I can't think of anything um, off the top of my head. I'm sure there is because, well, I went to, to school for design. And so we dissected a lot of, of logos and brands. But off the top of my head, I can't think of one. No, but that that one, that maple syrup one, I mean, it could use a little bit of refining. <laughs> I think it's also <laughs> just oh, very... <laughs> Well, yeah, I guess it's a little you know, bit too. To be on the safe side, it's probably just about every logo the Vancouver Canucks have had over their history. Uh, they never quite get it right. I've never seen a hockey team redesign their sweater and their logo over and over and over again, and they keep getting it wrong. Uh, you know, so I don't know. Maybe there's something about the Vancouver hockey community, um, but I would say. Whenever you're going to come up with a logo, and I think any marketer would agree, do it properly. Do something that's simple and very easy uh, to digest graphically 
and then stay with it. Don't keep changing it, right? Maybe you can mm -hmm. update it, but don't do the Vancouver Canucks thing of going from a hockey rink to a skate to a, a killer whale. Um, it, it just screams of desperation. Look at that. I mean, can you believe this is the wow. same team? <laughs> yeah, evolution is a good thing, but uh, you know, stick to a good, good, good concept and grow it from there. Unbelievable. Um, well, Tamara, speaking of um, evolution, do we have any more super chats by any chance? Uh, I'm not sure if we have super chats, but let me just have a look here. No. So, but we do have another clip that we wanted to share with you. It's about uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau being asked about his refusal um, to have a public inquiry into Chinese election interference, despite the House of Commons passing a non-binding motion to do just that last week. Finally, um, leader of the NDP opposition, which has formed an unofficial coalition with the Justin Trudeau Liberals. Finally, they voted against them to um, to to go forward with a public inquiry. Um, so this this quick clip we have here um, is is in regards to that. Maybe we'll just go ahead and show it before we give any commentary. Chinese interference, Mr. Speaker. No, this government hasn't been able to sweep it under the rug. On Thursday, the House voted in favor of a public independent inquiry on Chinese in interference. The Bloc Québécois, the NDP, the Conservatives are all in favor, and 72% of Canadians are for it. Even the member for Don Valley North is for it. Even the Liberal, who is facing the most serious allegations, is asking for an inquiry to cast light on this. When will the Prime Minister understand that the only defensible option is a public inquiry. The right honorable prime minister. Mr. Speaker, I take this very seriously. It is a nonpartisan issue or an issue that should never be partisan. That is why we have appointed an unimpeachable nonpartisan expert, the for former governor general, David Johnston, who will review this matter and decide whether to call for an inquiry or another type of investigation, and we will certainly implement his recommendations. Two national security organizations will, will investigate the matter, and they will get to the bottom of it. Mr. Speaker, we can see here how the Bloc Québécois is trying to make this into a partisan issue, but it isn't. This is a serious matter that must be addressed impartially and independently. And that is exactly why we asked an extraordinary Canadian who has often proved his loyalty and service to the country. That is why we have asked him to, to oversee all necessary processes to get to the bottom of things and to ensure that Canadians know that we are doing everything we can to fight foreign interference. That is the serious approach that Canadians deserve, not partisans, not partisan attacks. Yeah, that's really rich, isn't it, Tamara? Uh, blackface talking about uh, nonpartisanship. Uh, David Johnson is a family friend of the Trudeaus. They they skied together. Uh, I think they had chalets close to uh, e each other. And let's make no mistake here. I know special rapporteur. Ooh, that sounds serious. All that means, it's just a fancy word, Tamara, for an advisor. But you know what? I guess that happened yesterday. Um, you know, Justin Trudeau is committed to a Johnson investigating a dong. 
And yesterday, I'm going to point out that it was National Viagra Day. Make what you will of that, Tamara Ugolini. <laughs> I can always count on you, David, for that comedic relief. Um, now that my mind is in the gutter, allow me to pick it back up. <laughs> Your mind never what, goes there, Tamara. <laughs> what is this government's problem with, uh, you know, they're always touting transparency and openness and honesty. And so what is the problem with going forward with a full public inquiry, yeah. right? Justin Trudeau is hiding behind um, issues of national uh, security it concerns is is basically what he's stated why they can't move forward with a full public inquiry is because what will be disclosed is of national security and only select parliamentarians can review it and so there are certain things there that can never reach the public knowledge of Canadians and I don't know about you but I don't think that that's really how a democracy works. No. Um I think that there should be full disclosure here and there should be public scrutiny and for the liberals to once again appoint someone to investigate themselves it just goes to show that they don't actually care about being open, transparent or honest. They want to hide behind some sort of um, veil of secrecy and not give Canadians the full knowledge uh, so that they can start to vote accordingly, right? If, if, if some of the ethical infringements that this prime minister has engaged upon and in throughout the, his reign over Canada the last uh, almost seven years, then I would say that if the mainstream media was critical and scrutinized him um, for those ethical violations, then he would have never been voted in for a second term. Instead, they focused on, you know, how great his hair was, his cool, trendy socks, and then the wedge issue in 2021, which was the vaccine mandates and um, really dividing and, and sowing that wedge between Canadians who were making a contrarian health choice that went against the public health diktats of this government that were following and towing the big pharma safe and effective narrative, you know, which is a marketing Tamara, slogan. You're so right. Um, I look at all the scandals of this government. We Charity, SNC-Lavalin, Blackface, um, the Aga Khan fiasco, uh, that disastrous trip to India, uh, hey, even myself getting beaten up by his Royal Canadian Mounted Henchmen. If we had a media, a mainstream media that actually did its job and went after this government, I mean, like Blackface, for example, you know as well as I do, if some ancient photo emerged from Stephen Harper's past, even if he was at a Halloween party with Blackface on, it would still be front page news right now. But everything is a pass, pass, pass. And I just wonder if he's going to get off the hook on this as well. And when it comes to transparency um, and his, you know, this this nonsense about, uh, you know, sensitive uh, secrets of our spy agency, CSIS. No, I understand that. Um, having CSIS reps testify doesn't mean they're going to hand over in public all the methodology of how they acquired the information. It just is to verify that this information that they have, in this case, Chinese interference, 
with um, what is it, 11 uh, liberal uh, uh, members of the government is true. So it's not throwing, you know, the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. So it's absolute garbage, especially since going back to election night victory for Justin Trudeau, October 2015, he promised, remember, Tamara, the most transparent government in Canadian history. Folks, I'm telling you, it's the precise opposite. Yeah. Absolutely. And we continue, like, I, I feel like a broken record at this point. We continually point out how that isn't factual. Um, it sounds good. And that flowery language is there, but uh, actions speak louder than words, Justin Trudeau. And his actions continually show that he is committed to secrecy and censorship. Um, in case in case some of the bills that he's legislated or, or pushing through legislation um, don't speak for themselves, like Bill C-11, Bill C-18. But we won't get into um, that fully now. I think we have one more video, which okay. is the uh, Liberal Parliamentary Secretary Marie-France Lalonde, who refuses to answer when the safe third-party country agreement, so most recently uh, Justin Trudeau and U.S. President Joe Biden reached this uh, safe third-country agreement to essentially, I mean, the, the, the talking point for them was that they were putting, instituting this agreement to shut down illegal immigration at illegal border crossings such as Roxham Road, which we showed um, an ad earlier for that. We have extensive coverage at RoxhamRoadExposed.com. Alexa Lavoie and um, cameraman and video journalist Lincoln Jay have been on that beat and they are continuing to be on that beat to see if the government's actually upholding any part of this agreement. But regardless, this agreement has been made public. And so um, the, the liberals are being questioned to release the agreement in full to the public because they say that the devil is in the details. And this is a response very concerning. Mr. Speaker, after six years of tirelessly calling for the closure of Roxham Road, after having repeated hundreds of times that we shouldn't be greeting asylum seekers with RCMP officers, after having said over and over that Quebec does not have the capacity to receive these migrants, finally, Mr. Speaker, finally, Roxham Road has been closed. This is good news, and it should have been done a long time ago. But before we celebrate, we should read the fine print. The devil is always in the details, Mr. Speaker. So when does the government intend to make public the new safe third country agreement? It's signed with the United States. In full, with all of the details. The Honourable Parliamentary Secretary. <laughs> Mr. Speaker, I thank my colleague for his question. I hope that he heard the speech uh, President Biden gave last week. Once again, Canada and the US, U.S. have announced an update to the Safe Third Country Agreement. That's great news, Mr. Speaker. This new agreement will allow us to better manage asylum seekers in both, both of our countries and to ensure a fair and compassionate system. This is a shared responsibility, and it's a responsibility that Canada assumes. You know, Tamara, this really boils my blood because we've we've been led to believe for years now, years, that there's a loophole in the safe third country agreement, namely go to an irregular, i.e. illegal. I hate the use, by the way, of irregular substituting for illegal. I mean, when I think of irregular, I, I think of the bargain bin at Winners where I buy some irregular socks <laughs> for half price, you know, not somebody coming into my country illegally. 
But once you are in a safe country, that this, these are the rules. The first safe country you arrive at, that's it. You've crossed the finish line, in which case it's the United States of America. And you can't even play, you know, well, because Donald Trump is the president, uh, this is a refugee crisis because he's going to deport you because we've had regime change in the U.S. for a couple of years now. So all we had to do was build a fence and say, no, you are not coming into Canada, period. And if that had to be enforced at gunpoint, so be it. Because one of the tenets of having a, a, a you know, a nation is border security, uh, similar to a sound electoral system. And I think with the Communist Party of China, uh, we've got questions about that now, too. So once again, uh, as I was saying to Sheila yesterday, um, when our team gets out to Roxham Road, I'm going to believe it when I see it when migrants and illegal aliens are turned away. And I think in the meantime, we can expect certain airports like Montreal and Pearson here in Toronto um, just to get uh, migrants flying in from wherever and automatically declaring themselves uh, refugees and they'll be processed that way. Uh, it really is true. The devil is in the details. And mm -hmm. right now, this so-called transparent government is anything mm -hmm. but... Once again, right? Uh, actions speak louder than words. And I, I wanted to also point out that I think you make um, a likely to be true suggestion there because uh, parliamentary secretary has heard saying they will better manage asylum seekers. So they're not saying that we're going to turn them away. We're going to prevent that illegal, um, illegal immigration. We are going to better manage them so that they can still come into our country uh, just in a different way that maybe individual journalists can no longer cover as easily because it's not no longer in the open air. So yeah, devil's in the details. How are they planning to better manage the asylum seekers versus what was alluded to, which was that we're going to stop illegal immigration? No, it doesn't sound like they plan to stop it anytime soon. They're just going to manage it better so that they can hide behind that curtain of secrecy once again. And then also, um, she says that this is the responsibility that Canada assumes. Well, I'm a Canadian. I don't know when I ever voted on this. I don't know when I ever agreed to assume that people entering our country illegally were going to somehow assimilate into Canadian culture. And then all of a sudden, once they pass that um, line in the sand, they're going to uphold the laws of this land. I mean, they're not starting off on a very good foot when they are not going through the checks and balances that we have in place for people to seek refuge in our country when they're entering it illegally. So why do we expect that to magically change when they step foot on Canadian soil? Tamara, you're 100% right. The very first act you commit on your en route to becoming a Canadian citizen is an illegal one. You are a criminal by the fact that you have crossed mm -hmm. the border illegally. And you know, I want to be very clear. I'm not against immigration. In fact, because of our terrible birth rate in Canada, of course, that doesn't apply to you, Tamara Ugolini. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we do need immigrants to come into uh, our, our nation, but we want to vet them. We want qualified people coming in. We don't know who many of these people are because a lot of them are told to come back to a, a refugee board hearing 
and they don't show up. Fancy that. And we have no idea where they are. And you know, Tamara, for all the legal immigrants coming into Canada, you know, spending years to immigrate here, spending thousands of dollars on immigration law fees, what a bunch of suckers you are, according to the blackface uh, liberals, because all you had to do was go to Plattsburgh, New York, and just waltz over. Heck, the RCMP will even carry your suitcases for you. That's how we treat uh, the illegal aliens uh, coming into our nation. It, and I think one last point, as I've often said, Tamara, I think the unspoken quid pro quo here is the fact that the blackface liberals want to change the demographics of Canada this way. And what mm -hmm. I'm saying is, you get to come in illegally, become a citizen. You're, we're not going to ship you back. But just remember, every four years, vote red. That's where your ex goes on the ballot. It was us, the liberals, that brought you here. That's all we're asking when you go to the polls every four years. I truly believe that is the unspoken agenda here. Yeah, absolutely. I would tend to agree. Um and I also just want to note that we have a funny super chat here. So it comes from I am black that gives $5. Thank you very much. David, Tamara knew what that logo looked like. She just wanted to make you say it out loud. <laughs> Apparently my poker face isn't really good. <laughs> I Well, I am black. You know why uh, Tamara didn't say it out loud? Yes, she <laughs> is a lady and a lady would never dare say words that are associated with the Vermont syrup producers logo. I know that's antiquated language these days too. I, I don't think you're supposed to call females ladies. Well, guess what? I call ladies, ladies. In fact, you know, Tamara, uh, I've covered some international Women's Day um, marches and that brings out the radical left. And um, oh, yes. I, I remember once, and I think this tells you how upside down our world is. So. I'm on the sidewalk, they're marching down Young Street, I'm near college, and I, I said to, it was a mother and her uh, probably 28-year-old daughter, um, I said, what brings you out to this march? And they both dropped an F-bomb and gave me the middle finger, and I said, wow, that's not very ladylike. And they went out of their minds, right? What did you call us, right? Tamara, would you ever be offended if someone called you a lady? <laughs> well, I'm wondering in today's day and age, what even is a lady? Do we can we define what a lady is? And oh, and who <laughs> who I, knew you know, that womanhood would be such a controversy? I mean, this is just insane. Oh well, last year we had a certain uh, newly appointed Supreme Court justice, a female herself, I think. Um, when she was asked to find a woman, she was unable to. Would would you ever have believed that 10, even five years ago, Tamara, if I said, you know, there's going to be a female Supreme Court justice and she's going to be put on the spot to define woman and she cannot come up with the answer. And this is somebody on the highest level of court in America. Would you ever believe that if I told you that five years ago that was going to happen? I did not know that being a biologist was the only credentialed person that was able to define womanhood. Uh, you can go and ask any child who's not been the result of this radical extreme ideology indoctrination in their school system, and they will be they will have no issue 
defining what a woman is because it's very clear um, what the credentials are to be a woman and only women have uteruses, only women can give birth, only women can breastfeed. Um, I will not be deduced to a uterus owning person or a birthing person or a chest feeding person. So I think that <laughs> this, it like it just seems so insane to me that you even have to clarify those sorts of things in today's day and age. What a degradation of actual womanhood. Um, I never in a million years could have imagined that simply being a woman would be a controversy. And um, the idea of upholding our safe spaces and our right to privacy in those safe spaces would be labeled as bigoted and transphobia, which actually is a good segue into uh, the last few key points that we wanted to mention on the live stream today before we wrap things up. Um, and that is that there's some some school board meetings, and you've been covering some of these, David, and I've been covering some of them from afar. And one of them will take place tonight, a follow-up one at the Ottawa Carleton District School Board. Oh. So I had previously interviewed, uh, yeah, so this is a little write-up that I did yesterday on the topic. So tonight there will be a school board meeting. Uh, I believe it's at 7.30, and you can find all the links if you navigate through my post or if you just uh, take to Google. But um the father that I had previously interviewed, Nick Marabito, he will be delegating once again. And some of you who may not have seen that previous report there, he tweeted it out um, shortly thereafter it was published. But um, his mic was abruptly cut off the last time he delegated. And he was speaking about um, washroom inclusion. And so he has some safety concerns, as do his young adolescent daughters around the uh, new policy. Well, it's an old policy that's just newly being instituted at the Ottawa District School Board and its, its school system, that anyone who self-identifies as female can use the female washroom. And so Nick Marabito, on behalf of his daughters, has safety concerns around their comfort and their safety around a policy where anyone willy-nilly could just choose to identify as female, you know, for an hour, for a day, for however long, and go into bathroom and change room spaces that are shared by, you know, prepubescent and pubescent teenagers. Um, and his mic was abruptly cut off by that yeah. radical hypochondriac riddled trustee and family doctor, Nellie Kaplan Murr, the one who's notorious for wearing a mask alone in her office during Zoom calls. If you need a picture of just how absolutely riddled with anxiety this particular person is. Um, and then it actually, so, so you can go and read the write up and find out more, but, um, basically Nick Marabito and a whole host of delegates, um, including those that are kind of on the side of Nick and then all of the, um, people who think that this is a trans rights issue and that these people are transphobic and spewing hate will also be delegating tonight. So it's sure to be a fiery unfolding. And, you know, there's been calls for protesters and, um, and denouncing of this hate filled rhetoric by simply questioning how safe um, it is. This policy really is for actual girls who will be in vulnerable situations in a bathroom or a change room situation. Um, so keep your eyes on that if you're interested in seeing what's kind of happening now in Canadian school boards. And I think there's one tonight um, elsewhere that you were going to cover, David, is there? That's right, uh, Tamara. I will be around six-ish uh, in Aurora, Ontario. That's where the headquarters for the uh, 
York District Catholic School Board is uh, located. Um, there will be concerned parents uh, up against, well, let, let's call it, uh, call a spade a spade here. Um, they're going to be up against recruits by all the various teachers unions to mount a counter protest. And it's all about slapping these um, uh, rainbow flags uh, in the school, uh, which they're not authorized to do uh, by the school board. But because the school board is so cowardly and weak, they're not going to say anything. And um, I will guarantee you that the counter protest, the rainbow people will outnumber the parents. I mean, that's what we found out, Lincoln, Jay and I, last week at the Durham District School Board, uh, the parents were outnumbered at least 50 to one, at least. And they also jammed the school board um, meeting, the boardroom, uh, so that a lot of parents couldn't get in. We couldn't get in as media because it was jammed. Um, what was very interesting too is they had all these um, Durham Region police cruisers lined up, uh, not for any potential violence with the dueling protesters and counter-protesters, Tamara, but just in case um, a parent misbehaved in terms of uh, continuing to ask questions after their mic has been muted. Tamara, what people have to understand, and I found this out when we spent $4,000 for our FOI request for the Busty Lemieux saga, when we got all the correspondence from the Halton District School Board uh, regarding that, um, uh, how do you call that person? Um, that grotesque caricature of a woman who's teaching shop there. But whether it's Halton District, Durham District, so many other woke school boards out there, people have to understand, Tamara, that the school board trustees, most of them, hate parents. Parents are getting in the way. It's not about education anymore. It's about indoctrination. So when you go to your school board and you raise uh, questions about something they're pushing, you are a pest. You're not a parent or guardian looking out for the best interests of your child. You're getting in the way of their Marxism, for lack of a better mm -hmm. term. That's what people have to be aware of. And what I'm hoping for Tamara, much like we saw two years ago in Virginia, is for Mama Bear to wake up, to say, enough is enough. I want my child to learn how to spell, do mathematics, read, and I'm not interested in all this social justice warrior crap being shoved down their throats. And I mean, it happened at the school board level in Virginia, um, Tamara, and as you know, that that's the lowest elected position you can have, school board trustee. Mm -hmm. And look what happened. Uh, Youngkin got in as the Republican. It changed at the very highest level, the governor of, of Virginia. I want to see that happen here. And when we see these stories about radical transgenderism, when we see books in the high school li library that are glorifying incest and pedophilia, what does it take? for people to pack these school board meetings and say, no, enough. Exactly. And I think that there is a misunderstanding on the part of, you know, well, these unions that are calling for these protesters. I mean, how do you compete with that, first and foremost? But secondly, the protesters seem to be called to action based on transphobia, yep. bigotry, hate, et cetera, et cetera. What these parents are saying is that 
they're questioning the appropriateness and the sexualization of children under the umbrella of this LGBT, no, wait, it's 2SLGBTQIA+. I don't even know. No, no, no. Anyway. Tamara, what a square you are. According to the Elementary Teachers Union of Ontario, um, and I can't remember it offhand, it's a 17-letter um, <laughs> descriptor. Remember when um, Tucker Carlson had on Stephen Ledrew, the ex-liberal uh, uh, yes, uh, yeah, party yeah. of Canada president, uh, to, um, to defend that ludicrous 17-digit uh, uh, acronym. Uh, and I mean, doesn't that speak of lunacy too? I mean, uh, right mm -hmm. now, they're just making crap up. Exactly. We'll just call it the first 10 digits of letters <laughs> and the alphabet plus. Um, so under the guise of this alphabet soup, really, is, is what is happening here appropriate? And why are we using it to sexualize children and solicit their gender identity and their sexual orientation? Why... For for me personally, why are we quick to label anyone? Like these are children. These are innocent children that are being sent to school by their parents who think that they will be taught their ABCs and their one, two, threes. Um, we don't need to push them into any sort of label. They're still figuring life out. Yep. Your identity is something that grows and evolves and morphs and changes as you go into adolescence and into high school through your young adulthood. And then when you reach an adult, you have a more secure idea of who you are as a person. We don't need to be rushing to label anyone no. and especially children. And I think that there's a nice middle ground here that can be reached by both sides of the spectrum. And I think the parents who are starting to speak up now and voice their concerns um, are really level-headed and grounded. And they recognize that they should be more careful with the way that they word things, um, especially when you have such harsh critics on the radical far left who will dissect and pick apart any little misspeak that you might have that they think is, is hate or transphobia. Um, but these parents are bringing forward very valid, rational, reasonable concerns. And I wish that the other side who's being called to action and called to protest would simply hear them out. Like simply hearing someone out, if they have ideas that need to be denounced or actual hate that needs to be countered with logic and robust debate, then let's do that. Let's engage in that robust debate and bring all ideas to the table and sort out which ones should make their way into our school system and which ones maybe should wait until a bit later or is more appropriate for you know university or college level stuff. Because this gender ideology and this critical race theory, I mean, these are all theories, they're ideologies, yep. they're not scientific fact, they're not proven. And these were things that were debated typically in high level academic spheres. And it was stuff up for debate primarily in terms of gender or sorry, in terms of critical race theory, in terms of the law, the legal system. And this stuff was being debated by um, professors and academics and in universities. And now all this stuff is like trickling down into yeah. our elementary schools. It just, it doesn't make any sense. The concepts are far too complex for 
children to be being taught because they don't understand the complexities around them. And you're also leaving it up to the whim and the interpretation of the individual teachers with this like broad, ambiguously worded curriculum. Um, And so this is really just a recipe for disaster in the long run. And I wish that more people would come together to discuss and debate this robustly rather than just fighting back and forth about who's wrong and who's right. No, and and Tamara, I think we have to send a message to the school board trustees. Um, So many are such radicals that they work for us, not the other way around. And I can tell you, one of the governors on Mama Bear and Papa Bear acting out with rage over what's going on in the schools for the reasons you just adroitly described. I often hear when, I, when I'm in the protest lines, somebody, a mother or father, wants to come on camera. They want to have their say. But this is what I get. Dave, I'd love to talk, but I have a small business. And if the spirit unicorn set and their Antifa allies uh, find out uh, who I am, and I'm I'm speaking wrong thought here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll get docs. They'll do a boycott. It, it's a fear factor. This is the type of coercion that um, is really, I think, Tamara, um, governing the outrage of parents. And by the way, if anyone mm-hmm. thinks I'm exaggerating, I, I mentioned uh, pedophilia and incest. Well, our good friend Sue Ann Levy over at uh, True North. She had a report about the, the Waterloo uh, School Board, one of the biggest crackpot school boards you could find. All the trustees there are nuts. And in the school library, and this is a book recommended for 14 and over, and I think 14 is way too young an age because I consider it to be pornography, and I think you have to be 18 to consume pornography in this country. It is a book, uh, Tamara, about a father getting into a sexual relationship with his seven-year-old mm-hmm. daughter. That's yeah, it's called identity. That's incest. It's grotesque, but it's being normalized. And I, I can only imagine, Tamara, are we on the cusp of once the trans battle is fought and won, uh, is it going to be now about normalizing pedophilia? I even see descriptors for pedophilia calling it intergenerational love. You know, how's that for a new whiz bang yeah. rebranding? I think that's where we are. And it's despicable. Or, or minor, they're, they're referred to as MAPS now, minor attracted person. Um, and yeah, I did a big write up a few weeks ago after that Waterloo Region District School Board meeting um, where concerned father David Todor, who I've also interviewed previously, was reading an excerpt from that book called Identity by um, Alan Hopkins, I think it was, if I remember correctly. But um, it, like we couldn't even get through the clip last week because it's so grotesque and disgusting. And this is made readily available in the high school library for anyone to, to come across under the guise of being a self-help book. Um, and I want to point out that not all of the school board trustees there are crazy. There's, um, I think it's Mike Ramsey, very level-headed. Uh, and often works in conjunction with Cindy Watson. And the two of them bring forward a lot of these motions trying to gain accountability by way of the school board and the staff who have what kind of um, check and balance is in place to see these. They're called supplementary materials. So they supplement the curriculum. And they want to know what check and balance is in place to um, properly 
assess the appropriateness of the supplementary materials that are making their way into libraries. But the, you know, they're like seven, uh, sorry, two to five um, or six, and they're always voted against uh, no matter how often they try to bring forward motions to gain access and accountability into some of the decision making. It's it's abysmal. And, and Tamara, in the department of there's plenty of blame to go around here, where in blue hell is the Minister of Education for this province, Stephen yes. Lecce? I mean, mm -hmm. he has the power to disband <clears throat> these school boards. He won't. With the Halton District um, School Board, the fiasco we saw play out these past seven months with this um, uh, uh, Lemieux dressing as a grotesque caricature of a woman and this school board um, refusing to bring in a dress code for teachers, much like it has a dress code for students and a dress code even for Halloween costumes, if you can imagine Tamara Ugolini. Uh, Stephen Lecce is reduced to the role of a professional wrestling rever referee. Listen, Halton District School Board, I'm warning you six times to put a dress code in, and if you don't, I'm going to warn you a seventh time. That's what it is. And in fact, Tamara, why do we need school boards? Uh, principals have substantial power. We have a minister of education, at least when we have somebody in that portfolio that actually does tangible things, as opposed <laughs> to that uh, wimp lecce. Um, so why do we need the middleman? Why do we mm -hmm. need these uh, indoctrination factories, which is what so many school boards have become? We don't need it. And wouldn't that be a nice little, now that we're on the uh, on budget day, wouldn't that be a nice line item to cancel? All the waste that goes into propping up the school boards and uh, all the people that work for them. I say get rid of them. It's happened before, by the way, in Alberta. Our beloved colleague, Sheila Gunn-Reed, I can't remember the name of the school board, but the Ministry of Education there said, you know what, you're way too offside. Bye-bye. And the school board, uh, they had regime change there. So um, again, to fight this, all that's needed is political will. And the mm -hmm. political will is absent because, oh, I don't know, people are worried about being called transphobes. Well, and it was the Ford government who put all of this legislation into um, into place in 2018 in the first place. After campaigning on the removal of it, they just switched the, the verbiage and instituted it somewhere else. So actually, this all comes as a result of the Ford government's changes to, um, I think it's like anti some sort of anti-racism policy, um, which is a report for another day. So yeah. we have one uh, one more super chat that we'll get through and then we'll wrap this up because we are 36 minutes over um, <laughs> and it's from Ableist SL. Thank you for your $5 donation. I do not see a peaceful solution to the regressive left as they will just go insurgent if they are rightful, rightfully disenfranchised for promoting terrorist beliefs. Well, you know, and yeah, uh, the left embraces violence. I mentioned Antifa a while back. I mean, which is a contrast, uh, a contraction of anti-fascist, except they employ all the methodology of fascist. So really, they're not Antifa. They're just fa. But, you know, there's this <laughs> ongoing mantra uh, to Mary Ugolini where, um, you know, the left says uh, punch a Nazi. Now, if you were hell-bent on world conquest and carrying out a genocide, yeah, maybe punching a Nazi is a good thing when you're at war. But punch a Nazi to them means somebody with a differing opinion. You know, you cannot debate the issue. 
you can and you should shut somebody down with violence. And that's on the left. That's where that's coming from, Tamara. And probably another reason why so many uh, parents don't come to speak out, uh, because in, in addition to be branded a phobe or an ist on whatever word is the prefix, they also don't want to get hurt by someone uh, throwing haymakers. Because, you know, we all know that community, uh, Tamara, love Trump's hate. Unless you disagree with them, then out come the fisticuffs. What a joke. Yeah, it's so funny to see them spouting, spewing, love is love, while dressed in all black, intimidating, hiding their faces, using umbrellas and other objects oh, yeah. to prevent anyone from even seeing what, what they're doing. Yeah, um, yeah anti-fascists are basically just fascists. Yeah. And we've all been All right, and on sure. that note... Well, Tamara... I see it's almost, well, 40 minutes past. How do you like that? Uh, we, we have a lot to get to, a lot of important stories, uh, the most important of which being the Blue Jay snot cap, uh, which I can't imagine they'll even sell a dozen of those. Uh, but uh, I want to thank uh, Tamara. Uh, no, I, I mean, I want to thank Tamara for being the co-host. I want to thank Olivia and Ephraim behind the boards, our super producers. And thank you to everybody that tuned in. A special thank you to those who contributed uh, a donation. That's how we keep these lights on. And we are gratefully appreciative of that. I'll be back here tomorrow with another Rebel News contributor at one o'clock Eastern. And as always, folks, stay safe and stay sane. A conservatives stand for a country that works for the people who do the work. We want to bring home common sense again. And that's why I'm announcing today that unless Justin Trudeau cancels his planned tax hikes and inflationary deficit spending that have driven up the cost of living to 40-year highs, we will vote against this budget. We want to bring home a country that works for the people who do the work again in this country. We want to bring home lower prices by getting rid of the inflationary carbon tax and deficits, bring home powerful paychecks with lower taxes that reward hard work. Bring homes people can afford by getting the gatekeepers out of the way to speed up and lower the cost of building and co constructing the residences that will put roof overhead for our young people. Bring home safe streets by repealing Trudeau's catch and release bail policy, banning hard drugs, putting our addicts in treatment and rehabilitation, and making the corrupt big pharma companies who caused the crisis pay the bill. And of course, bring home our freedom. Bring home the freedom of speech, freedom of conscience, and financial freedom that Canadians deserve. It's about bringing home the Canada that we know and love. That's what Conservatives will stand for today and every day. Thank you.